hey, Joe Casaboni here, and I'm just letting you know that how I built it is now Streamlined Solopreneur. So if you're seeing a new artwork and a new name in your podcast player, that is expected and by design. The new name better reflects the mission and really what has been the mission of this show for the last few years, and I'm really excited about it. All the links in the show notes and how I built it will still work, but the show also has a new home over at streamlined.fm if you want to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by our great sponsors. BoldGrid works as a suite of plugins designed to help you create WordPress websites faster and easier than ever. BoldGrid will improve your workflow by providing direct access to free themes, page templates, photography, design elements, forms, galleries, and much more right from your dashboard. And the Bold Grid page builder allows you to easily drag and drop and edit this content as you see fit, all without having to use shortcodes. To learn more, head over to buildpodcast.net slash boldgrid. That's buildpodcast.net slash B-O-L-D-G-R-I-D. When you have a great idea for your product or business, you need to give it a great domain name. And finding the perfect domain is ridiculously easy with Hover. With Hover, you can easily set up your domain name with the most popular website builders and hosts. You can use Hover Connect to set up your domain automatically in just a few clicks. That's right, no more digging through help articles to find out how to get your domain working. And if you already have a bunch of domains scattered across other domain providers like I did, you can save money by bringing them all into Hover. Eligible domains will include free Whois privacy with volume discounts. So the more domains you have in your account, the more of a discount Hover will automatically apply to your account. Head over to buildpodcast.net slash Hover today for 10% off your first purchase. That's buildpodcast.net slash H-O-V-E-R. And now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, my guest is Tai Fujimura. Tai, how are you doing today? I'm very good. That was an excellent pronunciation. Thank you very much. I got super nervous, but I forgot (laughs) already, and I just asked you. Cool. So, Tai, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Normally, this show has like uh, specific product builders on it and things like that. I'm pretty excited to talk to you because uh, you are part of an agency you run this agency is that right yeah that's right uh we're called cantilever and we we've kind of vacillated between three and five people for a long time since our inception uh which was 2011 cool and so we're going to talk about you working on uh this project that you did for one of your clients but also kind of the client relationship part of it which is not something that uh, you know we get to touch on a lot in this show so why don't we start with, uh, you know, just the, the normal intro. Tell us a little bit about you and the project you worked on. Yeah, yeah, sure. I guess I can go back into the history a little bit. So I was a, a math major at NYU. And while I was doing that, I tended to spend my time in the back of the class, dorking around with the computer and, and learning how to, how to build things. Uh, you know, initially, I thought maybe I would get into some more like... Um, I don't know, Java or whatever, C kind of computer science programming stuff. 
but I discovered design simultaneously, and I was kind of playing around with different, you know, branding concepts and and poster design and advertising and things like that. And I thought that would be cool to get into, but I realized that I would need a website in order to sell my design work, and no one was coming along who <laughs> was going to do that for me for free. Uh, so I decided to do it myself. And then, you know, four websites later, I, I you know, actually launched something that that. I tried to get people to go to to hire me to do to do work, and I found that I I actually really loved the uh, website of things too. So I kind of you know stumbled into this freelance career while I was in college, and then uh, later on I I took a a, a job at a, a startup for a, a brief period of time, and while I was there I kind of maintained the freelance stuff on the side, and decided that I wanted to kind of commit to it. So we formally founded a company in 2011, and that's what I've been doing since. So we do everything from branding to backend, you know, full full stack strategy through execution, but you know, mainly focused around a web project. So if we're doing, you know, branding, it's typically as an you know additional element to to a web project. Cool, very cool. That's that's great. And and have you always been in in the WordPress space, or do you do? So yeah, we. We've had kind of uh, two phases of involvement with WordPress. Initially, when when I was getting started with web development, WordPress was the the easy way for me to start building things on a CMS. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember learning through WordPress. I like while I was just starting out, I was you know typing, making HTML files, and t- copying and pasting headers and footers between these HTML pages. And I was like, I couldn't even come up with the words for what to Google. <laughs> to figure out how to not do that. I was like, yeah. surely on, you know, <laughs> nytimes.com, they're not pasting the damn header all over the place. And I remember WordPress being a really great way to learn about, you know, simple concepts of of like loops and templates and, you know, relationships between variables. And, you know, you can kind of start digging under the hood a little bit more. And once you discover that there's this post variable that has all these, you know, things in it that you might not be able to access normally or that you can use uh, uh, WP query or whatever to do fancier things. Uh, and that was a really great introduction to using a CMS. And then we kind of, for a brief period of time, we're focusing on Expression Engine. There's, I, I think there was like an inflection point where uh, Expression Engine was able to do some things prior to particularly some of the custom fields uh, stuff really taking off with WordPress, mm-hmm. where that was a good choice for client work. And we've actually been reverting uh, lately to, to being WordPress-centric since Expression Engine has... You know, there, there's a new version that, that we are you know eager to to dig into as well but WordPress has been able to bolster the the sort of client uh, experience side within the CMS and so that's become the tool of choice lately gotcha yeah absolutely I mean I, I remember uh, I got on in into WordPress in 2004 so it was like a baby I think it was like a year old at that time right right 1.x yeah. yeah and I remember writing like PHP page templates and then putting them in core. So that I can, oh <laughs> yeah, it was bad. I mean, nice. like it was like, like you know, there wasn't yeah. the formalized process that we have now. There wasn't but, right, right. and there and was you no have page to try support. that yeah. stuff. Yeah, you, so. you have to try it to to learn why an alternative is needed. You know, yeah, and it, it, to to that effect, and kind of segueing into the Rustic project in particular, WordPress is fantastic, and the the CMS experience is unparalleled. I think for for content authors, and we mentioned, you know, I'm in client services. A big way that I provide value to my clients is giving them a way to change their content that is sensible, that that not only they can learn initially, but that they can have someone else join their team and actually jump in and be able to edit the website <laughs> is like <laughs> is a massive, massive plus. 
And that sounds that sounds uh, simplistic, but it's actually I find like the majority of the time, if you just deliver a CMS experience that physically works but isn't intuitive and doesn't have you know some of those niceties that ACF, for instance, Advanced Custom Fields provides, it doesn't get used as much, and then the client kind of is, ends up hiring you to work within the CMS that you built for them, and so so WordPress for that reason has really excelled and. But on the on the template side, on the actual building the website side, uh, I think WordPress leaves a lot to be desired if you're going to build something that's really huge, and not even huge, but anything anything of a decent scale. So this project with uh, one of our clients, Rustic Pathways, uh, we had built a, a a very large WordPress site for them initially that was kind of for their core uh, business area of uh, student travel, and they're a company that uh, sends teenagers on amazing trips around the world. And their other divisions are group travel and gap year travel. So for group is for entire classes of, of high schoolers who go to a particular place for a particular class in their school. And then the gap year uh, programs are for students who want to take a you know, four-month journey that's you know, going to give them some experiences to, to get them ready for college. And so they had other sites for those divisions, and what we wanted to do was kind of consolidate that all into a single code base. And we thought WordPress would be perfect because of multi-site. But we also realized that if we approached it with a traditional WordPress architecture, where we're like building a theme, that it was going to get really hairy really fast. And so we needed to look for some alternative architectures. And that led us to uh, something based on the WordPress API. Nice. That's awesome. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of that, right, let's talk about kind of some of your decision making. I'd love to hear kind of your approach to client acquisition, which makes it sound very impersonal. Uh, <laughs> Pick them off the shelf. <laughs> yeah, just like mm, uh, and yeah. um and then the research you did to come to the conclusion that multi-site with the rest API would be the good choice. Sure, sure. Yeah, so on the client acquisition side, our philosophy is to do a really good job right. uh, as much as is possible and be nice. And we find in general that that leads to people giving your name to, to someone else and they give your name to someone else and so on. And the, the, the secret on the client side is that I think th- this is very speculative, but I, my sense is that most people who hire for web development and web design are broadly unhappy and kind of scared of what they're going to get because they don't necessarily know where to look like, if you, it's it's not the kind of thing that's very easily Googleable because if mm-hmm. you just Google like web design New York or whatever, there might be two or three really good firms in that list, but it's really hard to tell what you know. First of all, who they are, and second of all, how to determine which of the, the of the ten or fifteen that you're seeing are the good ones. And so, so you know, part of the uh, client relationship building process is just sort of taking away their or alleviating their fear that they're going to get ripped off or that they're not going to get something built properly or you know maybe they've had a bad experience in the past and the more that you can kind of be communicative early on in a, in, in the project and you know give give the client a sense that you're a straight shooter and that you're you're actually going to get this done by the date that you say under the amount that you say i find like just doing those those basic things really really helps like turn those references or leads into actual business. Nice. And I mean, that makes perfect sense. I think when I was doing freelance work, like a full time and a large amount of my part time work, maybe half 
of my clients were people who came to me and said, yeah, my last guy disappeared and I don't know what to do. I just want you to get it done and like do it right and like not disappear on me. Yeah, it, it's shocking how many how many stories like that you hear, and you know. So, so there is a real what's the term like an information gap I think between buyers and sellers in the uh, web space. So, I, I think a lot of the companies that are doing a really good job are doing some part to bridge that gap. And and you know, when when a client goes to their website, it's not just you know talking about like the stuff that we would talk about on this show kind of the technical side or the behind the scenes side but it's giving people a sense of like why are you paying for this what's it actually going to do for you and then when you look at their case studies it's saying uh, it's it's providing evidence to those claims and that's something we are actually quite poor at on the web and are are working on right now uh figuring out a better way to communicate those things through our site but i think you know that's there there are there are a lot of good agencies out there that are that are making a strong case to clients that they can be trusted and that they kind of have the solidity and, and reliability that, that you need when you're investing a great deal of money in a ephemeral digital <laughs> code thing. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. So with that in mind, you know, what kind of research did you do for this project to kind of present the client with the solution you came up with? Right. Yes. And you, you had asked about multi-site. So that, and that's all kind of tied together. This project, we did our original project with uh, Rustic Pathways summer of 2014. And at that time, we, we were like, okay, well, the next thing is going to be tackling these other aspects of the business and, and building something to, to accommodate those. And so for, for a while, we'd had ideas you know, floating around about how we would approach it. And then I think it was 2015 that the WordPress API really took flight and and some of the methods got integrated into core. I can't remember exactly, but around that time frame. And so it it was kind of a good confluence of things where we realized that we had this potential project that that would require an architecture that separated the front end and the back end namely, because otherwise building the building the site would be a little bit would be complicated and we were afraid of uh, some of the performance ramifications of running everything through the traditional uh, WordPress template engine. And we don't rely, we tend not to rely on a lot of like front end side plugins. We use a lot of plugins that modify the the content entry experience, but for the most part, we want to control the front end entirely. Mm-hmm. Like it's very rare that we include WP head and WP foot, for instance. So we're really like, we're really trying to build our own code base within WordPress anyway. And we realized that if we use the, the API and we built some custom routes to give us uh, asynchronous access to data, that that would enable us to separate out the front end and build something that that made the entire development process a little bit easier. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, and one thing that you said that I kind of want to parse out a little bit is that you did work for them before. Uh, so you knew a little bit about their business already, right? You had that domain knowledge. Exactly, yeah. And and particularly, we had we had this existing good relationship. And they're, they're amazing clients. They, everyone we work with there is really... You know, friendly and talented, but also kind of knows what they're talking about. It's the balance that you really want. And so, going into this project, we knew that they were going to trust us to make the right decision. And I think they they were more comfortable with the the direction that we proposed because they knew that we weren't just in it to you know make the best hourly we could on this project and move on. That that we were vested in the in the relationship and that we really were making decisions for the long term, not just of this project in particular, but for their business. So like the the architecture is a perfect microcosm of that because the way that we set everything out is not just 
to build the two sites that the code base currently contains. It's to build an unlimited number of sites utilizing that multi-site methodology. And so we, we've kind of collaborated towards a product design and a product structure that works for the client and thereby for us, because we know that uh, we're going to be the ones who are building those additional sites. So it, it's kind of, you know, that that trust and mutual, you know, goal setting and, and kind of careful decision making in, in collaboration leads to products that I think are better suited to, to long term success. Awesome. And and that's, that's so great to hear. Like you, you developed this very technical. So you're like a, a three to five person shop. You developed right. this very technical solution for a client that implicitly trusts you. So right. if we can kind of walk this back a little bit, I like to ask about mastermind groups. But in this case, I think I'd rather ask about how you talked to your client, mm-hmm. uh, how you communicated with your team, and then relayed that to the client and relayed kind of the requirements back to your team. Because sure, sure. that position is a very tough one, being like kind of the person that takes the business requirements and converts them into technical requirements and vice versa. Well, yeah, I mean, it is tough. And what's tougher is actually making the crazy multi-site thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll talk about, you know, the the, the guys who, who kind of put that together uh, in a second. But yeah, to speak to that layer between the client and the and the product, our initial discussions with the client were were very... Uh, blue sky and very like very open about what we could potentially put together. So we we were just talking initially about you know abstract goals for the websites and what we wanted some some things some competitive things that we wanted uh, to to address in terms of aspects of of competitors websites that we wanted to that we wanted to counter or or sort of use as inspiration or whatever. So we kind of did this this uh, this brainstorming time uh, with the client over a month or two to to give a give everyone kind of a grounded sense of what we were actually trying to accomplish and then you know as I mentioned the we had this more trusting relationship with the client so we were able to kind of collaborate almost on what the scope's going to be like what are we actually going to try to build and how much is it going to cost and go back and forth on different options there so as opposed to like a, an initial uh, business process where you're going to write this monolithic proposal and and hope they say yes. It was a little bit more collaborative, and I think we we landed on a scope that makes more sense for everyone. And then yeah, so going into into actually building the thing, in this case, I didn't write a great deal of code. Actually, we hired a, a guy named T.J. Draper who works under the moniker Buzzing Pixel, and he's a absolute wizard with PHP stuff and and also on the front end. And he was building a lot of the front end work. And our uh, developer Andrew Hines, who works with us, was doing the back end. And as I mentioned, I guess maybe I can I can back up and explain like what the WordPress API would do for you in a case like this. Mm-hmm. So essentially, the way the website's constructed is there's a a WordPress application, and all that WordPress application does it doesn't have a theme. It just has this plugin that we developed that lets you request specific information from that WordPress installation. And it kind of stitches it together into these clean JSON objects that it then delivers to you. So you can you can ask that WordPress installation to give you the JSON representation of a given page, and it'll it'll send that to you very quickly. And everything is you know cached intelligently and all that, and, it, and nothing ever processes through the template layer. So it's actually like really really fast. 
Gotcha. So like just a quick analogy, probably that. Let me know if this works. I think it works for me, sure, but I'm yeah. not sure. You know, if uh, you have a house full of people who want to order food from some restaurant, instead of the delivery person going to the house to take everybody's order, you send one person to the restaurant with everybody's order, right? So the restaurant doesn't have to deal with the house at all, but they're still getting the information. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. And there's the benefits to that kind of approach are that that WordPress installation, all it has to do is make awesome JSON. Yeah. And so the our, our developer, Andrew, when he's working on that project, he can just focus on getting to that sort of agreed upon point where that that product is going to eventually find its way into some some other application somewhere, but he doesn't really have to think about that. And then conversely, on the front end side, we built a, a separate application. It's actually PHP based. You could also build a, a JavaScript based application, or um, you know any any number of other uh, methodologies behind how you could do it. But in this case, it's a PHP app that uses uh, Twig templating, which we really wanted to use. And all that does is it grabs the JSON, and it doesn't have to think about where that's coming from or how it's constructed or whatever. It just grabs it and and uses that to construct its pages. And so during development, that becomes a big benefit because the team or people who are working on the front end application, they can use dummy data that isn't actually coming from the API, but looks exactly like what the API is going to produce. And they can build their entire front end with this dummy data pretending that it's actually coming from the API. And the API team can be focusing on constructing the plugin such that it meets the specification of that dummy data. So it lets you build build a larger application in parallel, which especially for a small team is a big deal. The project took like six months or so start to finish and even even longer to launch the second site. And so, you know, I, I can't imagine how much longer that we, we could have spent it, it it was kind of a necessity to to split the work in that uh manner to keep things sensible gotcha that's that's awesome it's it's a very modular approach i mean you you are separating out all of the concerns of the site and then putting them together later which is it's a a great a great way to develop right yeah and it, it i think there's there's a tool for every situation and i think like there's just as much danger of overcomplicating something as there is of you know not building enough infrastructure or, or having enough strategy around what you do. So I think you have to be really careful with those kind of decisions. But like I said, you know, the fact that we had that strong client relationship, we knew that we, that, that we were going to do this. Uh, that gave us time to experiment and play with different architectures internally, you know, working on, on some, you know, sample projects and learning a lot and doing a lot of research to give us the justification that this is what we needed to do. Awesome. That's great. And so we have a little bit less than 10 minutes left. Cool. And we've talked about the technical side. And and, and so for for the last bit of this show, I want to ask you about the banner question. How did you build that in regards to building client relations, right? Because we can all think about our sure, sure. the good client, right? The one that just takes everything that we say and does it and pays us on time and stuff. But it's not like that. It's no good relationship is like that, right? There's going to be conflicts and things like that. So sure, yeah. how do you kind of keep that all together and, and, and cultivate a good relationship with clients who keep coming back to you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think openness and humanity make a big difference. And I think a lot of the time, you know, we, we talked about some of those bad situations in the past. I think one of the one of the bad situations I hear about are folks who are maybe have been manipulated by by a firm or by a freelancer where there's uh 
there's a, a, a set of information that they're provided, and then there's reality. And I think, you know, not doing that, first of all, is important, but also uh, communicating to the client that, you know, maybe that you're a human being and that you actually care about the, the outcome of the project being, being uh, strong. When you're dealing with other people in a business context, it's like, it's, it's actually shockingly uncommon for there to be that that mutual understanding of of just you know being people and being being regular human beings you think of each other as a name in your in your harvest account or whatever <laughs> and it could become especially for us we're mostly a remote company that can be a really easy trap to fall in is to start forgetting that that there's actually a people on the other end of the line and i think that's something that really helps you you know build strong long-term relationships and and work through some of those challenges just to say i was disappointed in this or you know, we're sorry that that this happened, even if it wasn't your fault. Just to just to express that you wish that it hadn't happened that way, and these are the things that we're going to do to make it better next time. Just like simple little little things like that. Just like in a in a you know marriage or any other relationship, can make a huge difference. And you know, we're always trying to improve and get better at that. But one one uh, trick that I have found with working with clients in that way is just emailing a lot, emailing too much, almost like just. Anytime you can think of something that they might want to know, just just sending them a quick note and to the point of even being pestering at times. Mm-hmm. And then especially when it comes to things like uh, budgets or delays, you know, the second you know about a delay, just send an email. It's it's always going to be better to do it now than to do it later. Gotcha. That's great. And and there's, I mean, you, there was a lot of great information in there. So uh, starting from like the most recent, right? Over-communication is much better than under-communication, right? <laughs> right, right. Because, again, you don't want your client to feel like you've disappeared on them, you know? You don't want to say, all right, I've got the requirements and disappear for six months and then not them not hear from you, right? Right. And that's a really hard thing to do. And that's a, a huge challenge for me because, you know, I'm a, I'm a uh, very hands-on person, you know, even though I'm doing most of the, you know, client discussion within our firm. I'm involved in in most of our projects, writing code or doing design or whatever. And so my temptation certainly is as soon as the project is is settled and we've agreed to do something, I want to get get it done and I want to get my hands dirty. And so I have to kind of remind myself to to come up and and interact with the outside world a little bit. Gotcha. But yeah, I, I I totally understand how that can be how that can be difficult, but I found like making deliberate effort to do that has uh, dramatically changed the way that our client relationships go and the amount of the amount of clients we're able to turn into real like long-term allies and partners it's uh, a big benefit awesome and then the other thing that you said which you hinted at at the beginning of the show too was that you guys have a vested interest in the pro- it's not just another job for you right and right, right. and that's a that's a big deal right the people who even a, a full-timer goes to their job they hate it they get there exactly when they need to. They leave exactly when, they, like, as soon as they can. They don't care about it otherwise. You know, that doesn't make for a, I'm not saying overwork. I'm not saying, like, work crazy hours, but care about your job. And, and, and that's what your clients hope when they hire you, right? That you have as much of an interest in the success of the project as they do. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think success is a, a very hard thing to define, of mm-hmm. course. But one area I think in which you can really excel if you're a builder of things, the manner in which you build something has so much to do with its long-term value to whoever you built it for. Whether and you know this is particularly relevant in in uh, client 
relationship where they don't actually have much visibility into what you made for them. You know, they can see the surface, they can go go to the website and it comes up and it looks correct, but they don't necessarily know, see all those, you know, nested uh, recursive wild functions that, that yeah. are undocumented and unnamed that, that you kind of lazily slapped in there at the last minute or whatever. Not that I've ever done that. <laughs> no, I don't think any coder has done that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, of course not. So when you're in a client relationship, they are really trusting you to build something that is solid and that is not going to just you know, break for for some reason someday. And so I think that's one really special responsibility that you have as a person who is a freelancer or as a part of an agency is to sort of reward that trust that the client put uh, in your work by building things that that you intend to last and that, that, you know, taking those extra steps to write the readmes and add those comments and refactor stuff and uh, try to try to do everything you can to make sure that under the hood the product is just as good as it is to the to the outside world. But the, you know, again, very very hard to do, and you have to. I guess one aspect of that is you have to build in to your process that you need time to do that because there's the time that it takes to get something done, and then there's the time that it takes to to really write software. Mm-hmm. And that's something we've totally fallen into in the past is like, yeah, I know I can get it done in, in four weeks or whatever, but I can't necessarily get it done well in four weeks. So going from the start, you know, budgeting that extra time and, and you know, including that in your proposals or plans or whatever uh, is critical so that you don't leave the client with something that's not maintainable and, and ends up costing them more than the extra week or two down the line. Yeah. Again, that's great advice. Uh, definitely Definitely account for that time and, and account for a, a a good amount to, you know, it's like measure twice, cut once, right? Uh, right. Plan right. and then code. So, well, we are at time and I want to ask you, you've given us a lot of great advice, but do you have any trade secrets for us? Yeah. I Oh, man. I, I love this question and I thought of a lot of possibilities. I have one that has to do uh, particularly with client relationships, which is around proposals. Mm-hmm. We have written a, a fair few proposals in our day. And one comment that we often get from people who say yes to the proposals is that we wrote detail about what we were actually going to do in the project uh, and that other firms didn't. And I think this is a really easy way, especially if you're just starting out as a freelancer or agency or whatever, to distinguish yourself among the, you know, three or four other options that they have, you know, they might even have another option at your price range. But if you're saying, we're going to build a multi-site installation with a certain architecture and front-end methodology, and the design goals are going to be X, Y, and Z, and the, the competing proposal just says, we're going to build you the latest and greatest product that without, without actually going into any, any significant detail on what that is, that really helps you stand out. Like the even if the client doesn't understand what you're saying, the fact that you read their whole, you know, requirements list or really paid attention during the meeting and took a lot of notes and spent time personally to think through what a a, a reasonable technical approach to something would be or a strong design approach or aesthetic that is, you know, surprisingly rare and it's a really easy way to distinguish yourself. Awesome. Great advice. It shows that you have a vested interest in the project right from the very beginning Absolutely. that you thought about it. Well, Ty, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It was really fun. Thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. I want to tell you about a new book I wrote with my good friend, Matt Medeiros of The Matt Report, called The Podcast Starter Kit. It's a QA-style book 
that tells you exactly what you need to get up and running with your own podcast. I've had lots of fun over the last several months with how I built it, and I want to share what I've learned with anybody looking to start their own podcast. In the book, Matt and I try our hand at answering 23 questions that you need to ask yourself before you get up and running. We also include several resources, our favorite equipment, and a checklist at the end. Head over to thepodcastbook.com to check it out. It's only $24, and it'll save you hours of time researching the right tools, where to upload your podcast, how to run a good interview, and a lot more. That's thepodcastbook.com. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to our great guest and fantastic sponsors. If you liked the show, please rate it and subscribe on iTunes, in Google Play, or whatever your podcast app of choice is. If you have any questions, be sure to reach out at howibuilt.it. And finally, until next week, get out there and build something.